Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. Uh, we're continuing with our uh, lesson on paterology, or more simply put, what we believe to be true about God the Father. Last week we talked about three of his characteristics. Anybody remember what they were? Nobody? Nobody at all? Uh-oh. It's uh, We could not holler at each other while I'm trying to teach how to appreciate that. Um, well, Family Feud's going to be interesting, you guys. That's uh, That was the easy one. All right, I, uh, I suppose I can jumpstart y'all with the first one. Yes, please. God is a spirit. Yeah. That's me jumpstarting you with the first one. Okay. You yeah. said that like you were expecting me to keep going. That did not. Did that not, didn't jumpstart anything? No, I think the battery's just dead. You know, I don't think this one's going to be able to jumpstart. <laughs> well, at least you shot. Spirit. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about the three main points. I mean, you're not wrong, but God is a spirit, right? That's the first one. We don't remember them. Okay. Well, the uh, the podcast is live yeah. for you guys who need to go refresh yourselves. Um, eesh. Ryan's like, I wasn't here. <laughs> the podcast has been live all week, though. I'm just saying. Ah, so you're not free either. All right, well, this week, we're talking about three new characteristics. Um, God is omnipotent. Anybody know what that means? All-knowing? Nope. All-seeing? No. It's all-something. Isn't it all-present? Nope. No. We're, our batting average isn't so great this morning, guys. We're doing a rough week. Let's see. Can you turn the volume up on the laptop a little bit? I feel like the people at home can't hear that. Well, it's not plugged into the speaker system. I know. That's why. I've... Is it all knowing? No. Let's go ahead and uh, read our, our scriptures, and then we'll jump into it, and I'll explain to you what it means. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 is where we're starting. It says, To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from God? Hast thou not known? 
Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding? So our first point, as I said this morning, is that God is omnipotent. Right? Go back to that Friends episode. Right? They're all sitting around the coffee house. They're asking, what would you do if you were omnipotent for a day? All powerful. There you go. The power of friends to teach us about God. That's uncanny, isn't it? I know how my people think. All powerful. You guys awake this morning? Are we okay? No? <laughs> Everybody in unison was like, no, no. Oh, gosh. <laughs> We need to do some jumping jacks or something before we get started. No. no? Welcome to. I got you on camera. It's good content. Yes. What we need to do is we need to start with a couple of songs in Sunday school before we dismiss, huh? Get everybody good and woke up. Yeah. We'll start doing that next week. The single most important thing we can do all week long. Okay. Well. Um, Thank you. Jeez, you guys, come on. <laughs> They're going to think there's nobody in here. You think I'm talking to myself. You are. Well, I can do that in there. I don't have to stand here and hurt my feet for an hour. Goodness. Okay, so God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. That's why he's called, so often in Scripture, the Almighty. Genesis 17, 1. Let's go take a look at it real quick. By the time we finish this series, it is my hope that you guys who are physically holding a Bible will know your Bible so well, you'll be able to just turn right to the, the, the right area right away. Almost like those sword drills that you did when you were teenagers. There's a lot of important information in the world. There's no information out there as important as the Bible. And it's important that we all absorb it and understand it and know our Bible as best as we possibly can. It is the only thing in our world that will last forever. All the other knowledge you absorb will eventually fade away. Names will be forgotten. Uh, facts and information and numbers and statistics will eventually be forgotten. But what we do with this word will be forever. In Genesis 17, it says in verse 1, When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. That word perfect there, it quite simply means uh, uncorrupted. Right? He's saying, don't be corrupted by the sinful world around you. Uh, Exodus 6, let's take a look at. Exodus 6. There is, and this isn't a joke, but there is coffee back there for anybody who needs it. 
That's not a joke. I'm just saying it's back there. So if you want some coffee, feel free to go grab you some coffee. There's some food and stuff. This doesn't have to be a super formal thing. Exodus 6. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of the land, out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. Now that last phrase means they had the name Jehovah. We know because of Genesis 22, he names Mount Moriah Jehovah Jireh. Right? So they had the name. What they didn't have was the knowledge of what that name meant. Right? Uh, they, like they knew that was God's name, but they didn't know what that name meant, as in, I am the self-existent one. Because only Moses received that when God said, I am that I am. Right? So he's explaining what Jehovah means there. He is the self-existent one. So they had the name, but they didn't know what the name meant. So that's what that means. But God here referring to himself as uh, God Almighty, and God Almighty is who he was known uh, to uh, in Abraham and in Isaac and in Jacob, and all the patriarchs knew him as God Almighty. Uh, Revelation chapter 1. Yes. Revelation chapter 1. Jesus says in verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So it's not just God the Father, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ referring to himself in that way uh, as part of the Holy Trinity, which we will talk about uh, coming up pretty soon. We'll have a lesson on the Trinity and how we can more accurately understand how God is three in one. But we see in three separate places where it talks about how God is the Almighty. He's all-powerful. That is what Scripture claims. That is what God claims for himself to be the Almighty. Uh, but God being omnipotent, it's important to understand, doesn't mean that he always exercises every facet of his power. Right? Uh, neither does it mean that there aren't things God cannot do, quote-unquote, in the most poetic sense. For example, agnostics like to ask the question, can God make a boulder so big that even he can't lift it? Right? This is a poetic turn of phrase that is actually a contradiction of terms. Right? Your own sentence is contradicting itself, so therefore it's not really a question. It's uh, just a poetic excuse for not believing in God. The answer, however, because there is an answer, is yes and still lift it. That's the answer. If you're going to contradict, your question is contradictory. My answer can be contradictory. So the answer is yes, and then still lift it. That's the answer. God is incapable of self-contradiction. Therefore, he cannot die. Right? Eternal life, everlasting life, that is what he offers 
each and every one of us who place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, it would be a contradictory term to say that God could die. God cannot die. He cannot sin. Uh, the things that make God who he is is more than just choices that God made. They go into defining his very being. Sin is something that goes against the very being of God himself. They, they repel God at his very nature. Right? These aren't choices God made. And a lot of people that don't understand the being of God don't understand that. They'd say, well, why would God create a world capable of sin? These weren't choices that God made. There are some things about God that are just natural to himself. You talk about God, that's who he is, right? That's the natural core of who the Lord is. Uh, in the same way that if we were to talk about any of us, there are things that make us who we are, right? We, it's not a choice we made. It's just part of our personality. You know, and if you haven't had kids, you don't really understand that as well as you will one day. Because if you've ever raised a child or been involved in raising a child, you'll know that they come hardwired, right? You think before you have kids that they're sort of a blank canvas and that you can just sort of uh, mold their personality as you go into whatever you want it to be. And that is so not how it works. Right? Jacob Glenn has had his personality since the day he was born. Right? As a baby, screaming and crying all day, every day, that was his personality. Right? Lizzie was different. You know, even growing up, Jacob has been, I would consider Jacob to be a pretty normal kid. You know, you do things for him, you take care of him, and he enjoys it. Lizzie was never like that. Even as a baby, she'd get mad if you tried to like hand something to her. She wanted to go crawl and get it herself, or she would get mad. To this day, she's four years old. To this day, she gets mad if I make her a sandwich. You know why? She wants to make the sandwich. If I get my own glass of water, sometimes she'll get upset because she wanted to make my glass of water for me. So they kind of come hardwired. We are who we are. We like what we like. That's just the way that God made us. In the same way, uh, God is who he is. It's not choices he made, right? So that's why sin repels him at his very nature. He cannot, it's not that he chooses not to, he cannot associate with sin, right? And so there are things that God, quote unquote, cannot do, but it's not an incapability. These are not inabilities. Sin is quite simply falling short of perfection. That's all sin is. It's not a thing, an action that God can't do because sin is actually us failing to do something. That's all it is. When we commit a sin, what we're really doing is failing to attain unto perfect, perfection. We're failing. We're falling short. Um, in the same way that death is just the lack of life. Uh, so God's inability to sin is actually his ability to, to continually be perfect. And his inability to die is actually his ability to live eternally. So these contradictory poetic phrases that people like to talk about, about God and how the concept of God is contradictory, it's not contradictory. It's just poetic excuses for people who don't want to believe in God. 
Uh, throughout Scripture, we see examples of God's omnipotence. And we're not going to turn there, but Genesis 1 shows us God's power in creation. And it is, in my thinking, the purest form of seeing God's power. Right? That is the greatest example of his power. And it's not even all of his power. And I don't think that we have examples of every facet of God's power. I think that God has power we cannot even mentally understand or attain to. But creation shows us God's power. Uh, many of us, it's human thinking, natural human thinking to believe that power uh, is the ability to cause the most damage or the most destruction, that that is the most powerful, right? Like what's the most powerful nation in the world? is the one that can cause the most damage, right? Is the one that can cause the most destruction. That's the most powerful nation in the world, whether you realize it or not, whether we like it or not, that is naturally how we think. Who's the most powerful kid on the playground? It's the strongest one, right? Usually the bully or something like that. That's, that's the way we think. Who's the most powerful player on the football team? It's the one that can knock the other guys down, the ones that can juke the other guys out, one that can tackle the quarterback, right? Those are the most powerful people on the football team. That's how we associate powers, by its ability to cause destruction. But true power and real power is the ability to create, the ability to heal. That's real power. Because make no mistake, God can destroy. He's got the power to destroy like nobody's ever seen. Uh, the flood is a perfect example of that. And the flood, by the way, wasn't just water covering the whole planet. There was a whole myriad of things that happened in that flood. Uh, you know, we didn't have thunderstorms or storms of any kind before the flood. Water came up out of the ground and watered the whole earth that way. And then after the flood, we have lightning and thunderstorms and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and all kinds of stuff now that we didn't have before then. The flood introduced to us, uh, the flood was instigated, many people, including myself, believe, by a meteor strike on the earth. There was a water sack covering the entire planet. You see that in Genesis 1. He said, let the waters above uh, be a space above from the waters below. There was a water sack, like a vapor canopy. Different people believe different things about what it was, but I believe it fell to the earth as a result of a meteor strike. If you take all the water off of planet earth and look at it we've got so many cracks and crevices and craters and it looks like a baseball that's been busted up and stitched back together that's what the surface of our earth looks like look at the moon you see all those craters on the moon there was a massive meteor strike at some point a lot of people believe that's what killed the dinosaurs what killed the dinosaurs was actually the flood but the meteor strike in my opinion instigated the flood god sent those meteors so God is capable of great and terrible destruction. Uh, for exa Another example, if you need it, is Sodom and Gomorrah. Raining down fire and brimstone. A man touched the Ark of the Covenant, wasn't supposed to, and immediately died. Right. So God has the power of destruction, but what makes God truly powerful and amazing is his ability to create. It's his ability to heal. That's what makes God so amazing. He can bring the dead back to life. That's amazing power. He can create an entire universe just by telling it to exist. God's authority is so powerful, 
things exist that didn't just at his command. I can't even begin to wrap my head around that. So Genesis uh, 1 teaches us a lot about God's ability uh, to create. Let's go to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. We're going to start reading in verse 17. This is Jeremiah praying unto the Lord. He says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth. It's the same phrasing we see in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God made the heaven and the earth. Right, because we have different heavens. We have the sky, right, that's considered a heavens, the heavens, you know, you've heard that phrase before. Uh, outer space, that's considered another kind of heavens, right? Well, the third heaven is the place where God dwells primarily. That's the place uh, we know in our minds God to be, is that other plane of existence called heaven. Right, so when he says the heaven, that's the heaven he's talking about. <coughs> Um, the heaven and the earth by the great power and stretched out arm by thy great power and stretched out arm and there is nothing too hard for thee thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them the great the mighty God the Lord of hosts is his name great in counsel and mighty in work for thine eyes are open unto all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing so here jeremiah talking about the almighty incredible power of god and some of the things that make god's power so incredible we see verse 18 it says thou showest loving kindness unto thousands Folks, we went out shopping today, or not today, but uh, yesterday evening, and there was a lot of people in the stores that we were at. A lot of people being maybe close to 100. I don't know. What would you think? Is that close? Maybe more? Maybe less? Maybe a little, like 80, something like that. 80 people in the store, which less actually helps my example. I couldn't be kind to 80 people. Right, you're in the store and you're trying to get to something, and there's there's somebody there who's got their cart turned sideways and is looking at something. Right, and you, you kind of get close to the cart. Maybe they don't know you're there, and you're just kind of hoping they'll notice you, and you know they they still don't look at you, and you kind <clears> of <throat> clear your throat so they know you're there, and they they still don't do anything. And and I would go so far as to excuse me, can you move your basket? I'm trying to get through. Nothing. Excuse me. And would pretend like they can't hear me, right? And so I would grab their basket and move it for them. And, you know, it was a thing, but it's fine. But my point is, I mean, if you've ever sat in traffic at 5 o'clock, you know it's hard to be kind to 20 people, right? It was hard for me to be kind to 80 whole people in the store. God is capable of being kind, showing loving kindness. Here, Jeremiah says to thousands, but honestly, it's more than that. He shows loving kindness to the whole planet. There's 7 billion people on this planet now. There's a lot of people on this planet. God shows loving kindness to all of them. Any of us who know what people are like 
knows that is an incredible power. It's amazing to have compassion and loving kindness to such frustrating people. And folks, you think it's frustrating for us. Like, you know, we kind of know what's going on and people who are a little more ignorant kind of wandering around and that's frustrating to deal with, right? You imagine being God, knowing everything, watching us fumble around on the earth. You ever watched somebody like do something or play a game or something that you know how to do really well? Or maybe they're trying to cook something that you know how to cook really well, but they're like fumbling through it and they're making little mistakes here and there. Isn't it frustrating to watch? You imagine how frustrating it is for God to watch us fumble through life when he has all the answers. And yet he still shows loving kindness to each and every person on the earth. That's an incredible power. Uh, notice also it said, Thine eyes are open unto all the ways of the sons of men. To give every one according to his way. God is capable of dealing with each and every person individually, simultaneously. That's incredible power. The, omnip the omnipotent power of God is amazing. Uh, let's go over to Revelation 19 now. You'll find that as we start hopping through Scripture, you'll kind of get this uh, mentality. It's sort of like driving a car. You know? You're like... Preacher, we were just in Revelation. Right? Couldn't you have, you know, gone a little further into 19 before making a U-turn and heading back to Jeremiah? I could have, but I didn't. Revelation 19, and in verse 4, it says, And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. So, I mean, it basically just spelled it right out there for you. God is omnipotent. You really can't get away from it when it's using the word right in front of your face. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But that, that matters to your everyday life. If God is all-powerful, then that affects you. Because the God you worship, the God you serve, the God you pray to, the God you endeavor to listen to is an almighty, all-powerful God. He's not like other gods. Other gods have power in specific regions, right? If you're going to pray to uh, the God of the crops, right? He has power over the crops. But if you were going to go pray to the God of the crops about, I don't know, uh, your children or having children, he's not going to be much help over there, right? If you're going to pray to, uh, I'm trying to think of like um, Greek gods, uh, what they were, like the god of war maybe. And if you were having an issue with, uh, you know, your spouse, you wouldn't go and pray to the god of war. He has power, but over war specifically. Our god 
is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He is capable of everything. And when we go to him and when we pray to him, he is capable of anything. That is the power we are tapping into. That is the power we have access to. It is the power of an omnipotent being, an almighty, all-powerful God. God is omnipotent, and it matters to us personally. We see secondly this morning is that God is omniscient. And this is the one y'all were thinking of. Omniscient means that God is all-knowing. Right, that's this one. Omnipotent is all-powerful. Omniscient is all-knowing. Right, so he's not only all-powerful, but he's also all-knowing. Therefore, he holds no false beliefs. When God tells us something, it must be true if God is omniscient. This is important for us to understand because if we draw these conclusions, if God is omniscient and he's all-knowing, and God wrote the Bible through the inspiration of uh, the Holy Spirit upon physical men, and we believe both of these things to be true, then everything you read in Scripture must be true. Right? If God is all-knowing and God was the spiritual author of the Bible, then we then everything in Scripture must be true. And if everything in Scripture is true, then we ought to heed to it and apply it to our lives. Because the Bible must be right and we must be wrong. That's just logic if those things are true. So let's look at God is all-knowing. Our knowledge, and let me explain this first and foremost, comes by way of observation, reasoning, comparison, induction, deduction, and so forth. There are different ways that the human mind uh, attains knowledge. Right? Our knowledge comes through experiences and study. We obtain knowledge throughout the course of our lives. But God's knowledge is intuitive. In other words, it's without the need to reason things out. It's innate. In other words, it's part of his nature. He didn't have to go and... and learn these things that was already a part of who God is from eternity past and it's immediate right how many times have you tried to think about something or tried to remember where you put your phone down at probably 17 times a day I'm walking around this house trying to find out where I put my phone down at you ever lost your keys you have to sit down and think about where your keys were at you ever been talking to somebody about something and you have to stop and try to remember how the rest of that story goes God doesn't have that problem. His knowledge is immediate. His knowledge is not like our knowledge. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. In other words, God is trying to teach us that he does not function the same way that we do. Right? His knowledge is not like our knowledge. It's different even from its very nature. Even the basics of how God's knowledge works is different than ours. And throughout Scripture, we see example of, uh, examples of God's omniscience. Uh, again, Genesis 1, if he created all, then he must know about everything. If he created it, he made it to work so, then he knows that that's how it works because he made it to be so. 
right? There's no law of physics that catches God off guard, right? He knows how it works because he's the one that built it. There's no facet of this house, I'm sure, inside and out that would baffle my dad. My dad put it there. He built this whole house. He was here when the foundation was laid. Every timber he put up, every piece of uh, sheetrock he put up. You know, the wiring, everything. The shingles on the roof, it was all him. There's no part of this house he doesn't know about because he's the one that built it. There's no part of our universe that God doesn't know about because he's the one that built it. He's the one that created it. If he created all, he must know all. Let's take a look at Psalm 147. Toward the end of the book of Psalms. Psalm 147. And in verse 4, it says, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Did I already go too far? I did. But notice that phrase down there at the bottom of verse 5. It says, His understanding is infinite. We know what infinity means. That sideways 8. It means without end. There is no end. Uh, there are few things in our world that we know for a scientific fact are infinite. Time is infinite. You say, well, what about the end of time, someday way off into the future? Well, even if our world does end, which the book of Revelation tells us it does, but even if you know people of any sort of belief about the end of time are right, just because the world ends doesn't mean time ends, right? It continues on. Time is just what we use to measure that aspect of reality. Time is infinite. Space is infinite. It goes on without end. You can go forever and not run out of space. Right? What would be at the end of space? Is it some sort of a giant wall? And if there was a giant wall, what was on the other side of that? How deep does it go? How thick is it? Like space is infinite. Right? So we know the concept of infinity is something that exists within our reality. And we also know, according to Scripture, that God's knowledge is infinite. It's without end. Uh, Proverbs 15. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. Right? There is no sin that God doesn't know about. People who think they get away with something don't. Because God sees everything. But the eyes of the Lord are in every place. God sees everything. You think you're doing something alone nobody can see you, you're wrong. God can see you. That is something we teach kids, right? God is watching. 
Well, we as adults, we sometimes forget that fact. Right? We know it from Sunday school. It's back there somewhere. But in the forefront of our conscious mind, we don't live with that fact in front of us every single day. You know, if we're alone, we think we can sort of do whatever we want to. Nobody's going to find out we're alone. But we're not alone. And we forget that. We forget that God sees everything. We don't live oftentimes like God sees everything. And it's more than just what we do, right? It's more than just what we say that God sees. Let's turn over to the book of uh, Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11 is near the book of Daniel. In my head, I was thinking, well, where's Daniel? <laughs> it's a major prophet. Ezekiel 11, it says in verse 5, And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and said unto me, Speak, thus saith the Lord. Thus have ye said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. You see, it's not just the things you say that God knows about, and it's not just the things you do that God knows about. Even the thoughts that pop into your head, God knows about. The things you thought about doing, but decided not to do. God knows about those as well. No thought, no concept, no person's mind is hidden from God. He is all-knowing. If God knows all, however, it means that he knows you inside and out. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than anybody else knows you. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 1. Uh, David says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Never think that you've been forgotten about. And sometimes that's the way this world can make us feel. It can make you feel like you've been forgotten about. Like you give and you do and you try to be a good person. You try to go to the extra mile. You try to do all the things that are expected of you. You try to make other people feel good, but it seems like sometimes you never get that in return. Right? Sometimes it feels like the whole world's just sort of forgotten about you, takes you for granted, just does, 
and takes and then forgets that you're somebody that needs love, that needs attention, that needs sympathy as well. But never think that you've been forgotten about. Other people may overlook you or make you feel unappreciated, but God always sees you and always knows you. God is omniscient. And that's not just a universal fact, that's personal. God knows about you. He sees you. He sees what you're going through. He has sympathy for you. He has compassion for you. Never think that you've been forgotten about. And we see thirdly and finally this uh, morning is that God is omnipresent, which is sort of a self-explanatory fact, but it means that God is present everywhere at once. He transcends all spatial limitations and is not absent from any portion of space. At times, God may manifest his presence in a more physical and localized way, but that does not mean that God is more present there than anywhere else. How many people did I just lose? No, we're still good. Oh, good for you guys. That's not usually the answer I get when I get that far, so you guys are smart. If you raised your hand on Facebook Live, don't feel bad. Okay, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the same boat that you are. So in other words, if the presence of God is ever talked about in Scripture as leaving or entering, uh, it's only in the sense of what that person or people are capable of experience with their own physical senses. Right, the physical manifestations of God, because we know, in effect, since God is a spirit, he exists everywhere, but in, on that spiritual plane, that the physical world, being lesser, cannot uh, experience with our senses. Right? So God exists everywhere. He's everywhere. Uh, he just manifests himself more physically in certain situations, uh, like the Holy Spirit indwelling us. He manifests himself in that way in a more physical manner. But throughout Scripture, we see a few examples of God's omnip uh, uh, omnipresence. In 1 Kings 8, I'm just going to read it real quick for sake of time because we're almost out of time. In 1 Kings 8, 27, uh, it says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? This is King Solomon in his dedication to the temple. He's praying to God at the temple dedication. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven... And heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. He's saying here that the presence of God exists everywhere at once, and that this temple that he's built cannot contain the entire presence of God because God is omnipresent. But it's a temple to God, not for God only, but for God to meet with his people, to interact with his people. You know, a parent loves to have a house that their kids can come to, right? Even if they get old and they get older, they want to have a nice house with enough room so that their kids, however many they have, can come and visit and fellowship and spend a lot of quality time. Them and their kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and so forth. That is how God is. He's no different. God wants a place where his people, his children can come and spend some time with him. 
He's everywhere at once, and you can fellowship with God at any time you want to. We can pray. We can read our Bibles. Just like if you want to spend time with your mom or your dad, you've got a cell phone, they've got a cell phone, right? You can call them and talk to them. They can talk back to you. You can spend time together that way. But there's just something different about being at their house, right? Something different about being at mom's house, you know, smelling what she's cooking, talking to her person to person and telling her what's going on in your life. There's just something different about that. You can't get all those experiences over the phone. The same thing's true about church. You can pray at home. You can read your Bible at home and that's fine. And for a long time we had to because we were in this pandemic and it's still touch and go, right? We're not completely out of the woods yet. But at the same time, there's just something special about being at church. It's just different. It feels different. There's a spirituality to it. And if you don't feel like your family's safe, we at Faith Baptist Church totally understand that. There's no judgment here at all, especially in that regard. But that doesn't change the fact that we ought to be looking forward to the day we do feel comfortable enough to return to church because there's just something special about it. God is omnipresent. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? He says, Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. There, Jeremiah 23, 24 proves to us that God exists everywhere in heaven and in earth. And then we're already in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, talk about the omnipresence of the Lord. It says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. There's nowhere you can go that God cannot see you. There's nowhere you can go that God will not be there. So never fear. Never feel like you're alone. Because God is always with you. There is nowhere on earth you can go that God is not already there. That is our lesson for this morning. I'm a couple minutes late. I know. But uh, we will be back at, let's say, 5 after 11.